This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Richard Osman, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's lovely to be here. I'm super excited, actually. Although, do you know what? I get really shitty about people like you. Do you know oh, why? Uh-oh. Go on. <laughs> so talented. <laughs> so oh. talented. I mean, why is it that talented people, like, they can act, they can write, they can be comedians, particularly comedians. I spoke to Dawn French the other day, and her books are fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I'm really, I'm sick of it. Would it help you if I listed some of the things I'm terrible at? Yes, yes, it would help me. Great. Um, Brilliant. I'm a terrible cook. Right, okay. I'm a a really bad dancer. Yep. Um, I'm a really bad cure. I hate to cue. I have no. I don't have any any of the psychological wherewithal needed to, uh, for queuing. That's um, very unhealthy. So I tend to just stick to the things I'm good at. That's that's always been my watchword. I just tend not to do the things I'm bad at. Really, it is a stellar book. I mean, it is. I oh, mean, I, it you. really is. Congratulations. And you know, when I put it down, I was annoyed. It's like I'm sick of these talented people being so talented. <laughs> Anyway, let me introduce you. Richard's popularity and tremendous knowledge of trivia led him to become an executive producer on numerous UK shows, as well as being the host of Pointless, a hit quiz show. This is his debut novel, The Thursday Murder Club. It is number one international bestseller. It's about a retirement village where four unlikely friends meet up once a week to investigate unsolved murders. I mean, I can hardly say the next line. Steven Spielberg has bought the film rights. What? Yeah, but Cheryl, what does he know, you know? (laughs) What does he know about storytelling? Exactly. He doesn't have a clue. (laughs) He doesn't have a clue. All right. Now, tell me, I love the book, but I know very little of your personal story. So tell me Mm. how it is that you became to be so fantastic. Uh, That's a question I've never been asked. How is it you came to be so fantastic? Um, I, well, listen, let's uh, talk specifically about books. I've worked in telly my whole career. Okay. TV is the thing that uh, I always loved. It's what I grew up watching. Um, and I've you know produced it for years and years. Been a television executive. I but want to I go back. Really, I, I don't want to skip the early years because you're not just a TV producer. You're also funny. So how is it like when you're at school? Were you the funny kid? I mean, how was it growing up? Honestly, I've no idea. Um, I grew up in a big sort of working class British family, bits of which uh, headed off to Australia, and I came from a family with no connections. There was no one who worked in the media or television, or and obviously you know, no comedians know anything like that I am very visually impaired I can't see very much I'm very tall so I've always felt sort of an outsider and I've always plowed my own furrow I always write from very very young would write off to magazines and try and publish articles and 
right off to radio stations and try and get on. I just that's I always wanted to be in the middle of things, in the middle of conversations. I love talking. I love writing. Um, and that sort of saw me through. I have no idea where it came from. Although my brother is a musician, but the rest of the the rest of the big extended family, there's no you know indication of where those genes might have come from. And so I've always done my own thing, to be honest. I've always tried to do the things that I love. I love television. I love writing. I love comedy. Uh, and I've, I've honestly, I've just sort of always tried to spot the angles and seen where I can get involved and, you know, where, where I can find my voice. So you finished high school, okay, when you're thinking about a television career and I mean, where is it? Where do you take it from there? And is it like your parents say to you or your mum says to you, you know, what are you thinking? Is that a job? Is that a real job? No, my poor old mum. So my mum is from a big working class family and all she ever wanted really is for me and my brother to have a proper job, like to be a doctor or a lawyer. That was the thing. Education, she she was a primary school teacher, um, you know, teaching very young kids. And she always believed in, you know, the power of education and the choices that it would give you. Uh, and so she, and by choices, she meant she would love us to be a doctor and a lawyer. That's what she really meant. Uh, and I went into television, which, you know, is a freelance career, essentially, and, you know, uh, precarious. My brother went into music, uh, which is an even more of a freelance career and even more precarious. So my poor mum, she's had a lot of entertainment over the years from the two of us, but she's never had that solid thing of, oh, finally, I've delivered my family into the safe security of middle class. Um, but I think now... But for the first time, I think me being an author, that, that has settled her down a little bit at the age of me being the age of 50. She's finally thought, oh, that feels like a proper job. My brother's 53 and he's still doing the music and she still doesn't think that's a proper job. So Right. So none of the TV stuff was a proper job? No, I don't think so. Well, I think that her generation, quite rightly, especially coming from no money, I think and you want a job where they can't fire you. Yeah. You want a job where you start when you're 16 or 18 or 21 and you keep working there till 65 if you want to and no one can get rid of you and you're in an industry where there's always work. And to her, the idea that I'd keep moving jobs or be on new projects or have a few weeks where nothing was coming in, literally, quite rightly, it spoke to something very terrible in her soul of, but what if you run out of money, which is the thing that drives pretty much everybody in Britain and in Australia who wasn't born into money and people who were born into money don't understand that. They don't have a clue about it, but it drives everything we do, which is what if I run out of money? Do you know what I think too? I mean, here in Australia, my parents are immigrants, so they migrated from Mm. Lebanon and they raised six children. Really, really tough gig, right? But I think like any parent and like immigrant parents, you want better for your children, don't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, you want the security you didn't have. You want the things that you didn't have. I mean, listen, yeah. they gave love, which is, you know, the, the best thing to give. Uh, but of course you want security. You want that thing that you see other families have and that, you know, you weren't able to give or be given. And, you know, so it's like I, I love for my mum that my, myself and my brother both made a bit of money. And she's one of the few people I can really talk to about money. If ever, it's occasionally in TV, you'll get offered money for a job that you think, this doesn't seem right. This seems like too much money. And my mum is the only person I can ever tell that amount of money to because she's like rubbing her hands in glee because, you know, she, it's, it's, she didn't have it and she wanted it for her kids and, and yeah. now we've got it and you can see it delights her. I think when you go walking down the red carpet when you're collecting your um, Academy Award, I think you should have it by your <laughs> side. 
<laughs> Honestly, she'd rather be staying and watching telly. Would she wouldn't, you know, all the fuss of getting on the plane and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wouldn't want that. Okay, so when you finished high school, what did you study? Medicine. Uh, no, yeah, um, my mum wishes. Uh, see, but that's the problem. And this is this is where I think my mum gave up the ghost slightly when I was choosing. You know, when you're choosing your specialisms, I I was never any good at science. I was never any good at languages. I was never any good at maths. All I could do really were you know the humanities, English, and history. So I did I did sociology and politics at university, and you know I love to see the world in those. I love to look underneath the world and see what's kind of naturally occurring and what we've invented and you know just just work out what's going on so i love that to me politics and sociology are, are, are a science all of their own but you know it's no coincidence that it's also probably the easiest degree i could have done and and, and the one where i had to do the least work so i, I have to accept that uh, some of that thinking came into play as well and was that because you wanted to start performing or whether you were thinking even then about yeah, I mean, listen. I mean, I've never been a I've never been a performer. I'm a completely accidental performer. I've always been a behind the scenes guy. That's right. what I love. I love being the power behind the throne. If you know what I mean. I love being the sidekick. I love being you know second in command. Um, so I was never a performer. I've never uh, I never sort of got up on stage or anything like that. But what I definitely did do was I wanted to be where the action was. I wanted to be where the conversation was. If anyone was inventing a TV show, that's where I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to have to be part of the culture. You know, because and be part of mainstream culture, which is what I grew up with. I'm not, um, I'm not posh or highfalutin or you know, I'm, I, 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 opera and ballet and stuff, and not you know where 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 I naturally land. You know, I'm I want to be right in the middle of British popular culture, and I sort of took every opportunity I could to do that, and not cynically, but just because it's the thing that I love. And the thing I'm loving, the thing I love about crime fiction stuff is it feels like the same area that I was in in television I do entertainment and quiz and it's right in the right in the middle of the mainstream and you know crime fiction is as well and I love doing mainstream things really 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 well that's my that's my favorite thing I want to get to the novel but before that tell me how did you get your first gig in tv what was your first gig you know it's a, it's a very prosaic story and it's um there was just an advert in the newspaper I was just about to have get some Teddy sales job just to earn some money and there's just there's an advert in the newspaper saying researchers wanted for a video games television show. And this is early 90s and the, the channel was tiny, video games were tiny. It wasn't, you know, but I'd just written an article about video games, funnily enough, for something else. So I thought, well, I could do that. So I went over to this interview uh, and I was interviewed by an Australian, funnily enough, but a, a, a very snobby Australian or reverse snobby Australian who saw the fact I'd been to Cambridge University and immediately took against me. <laughs> she said, how can someone who went to Cambridge University, how can you ever make a television program for someone living on a housing estate in Basildon, which is a place in Essex over here? And I said, well, the, the really good news is I grew up in a housing estate about five miles from Basildon, so I think I probably can. And from that moment, her reverse snobbery went away and she fortunately she offered me the job. Um, so that got my foot in the door in telly, and I left that company as soon as I possibly could because it was it wasn't fun. Uh, but you know, I haven't had a day out of television since. So just that one advert in the one newspaper on that one day, and the one lucky question in the interview, uh, yeah. and uh, I'm I'm still here 30 years later. So you're successful. You're doing what you love doing, and then you decide <laughs> to write a book. I mean. That is a monumental task. Have you been writing throughout yeah. your career long form? I know you've been writing for TV, but had you been writing stories? 
Well, that's it. Is is you know, I was, I was always a writer, and yeah. you know, the sitcom and animation and, and things like that. I did that early on in my career, uh, and I'd always wanted to write a book, just like it, you know. But yeah. don't we all? You know, everyone always wants to write a book. And a couple oh, of times no. I talked. No, 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 I don't. <laughs> Oh, really? Okay, good. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's so lovely to talk to someone who doesn't. No. <laughs> Just so no, you know, people always ask me, I'm sorry to interrupt, but people always ask me and I say, no, never. Oh, that's so refreshing, especially <laughs> in the world of books. Uh, yeah, and so I'd always, I talked to a few people who wrote and the one thing I really understood, if I do something, I, I take it seriously. You know, if I do something, I don't, I, I, I put my heart and soul into it. And I knew a book was too hard for me and my, and my kids were growing up and this or the other, and I had this career growing and I knew it was too difficult, you know, because if I did it, I wanted, I wanted to really do it properly. And it was only, you know, three or four years ago, kids a bit older, uh, career, you know what, the, the, the kind of momentum of a career sort of, you, you, you start to kind of, you lose a bit of that kind of fire uh, and, you know, you, you stop to smell the flowers a little bit more. Uh, and I thought, do you know what, I have a little bit of time now. I certainly have time to start a novel is what I thought. I thought, well, why don't I do that? And I, I, I had uh, the idea, which we'll talk about, but I, so I had an idea and I thought, well, I'll just give it a go. And I wrote about 20,000 words in sort of maybe a couple of months. And at that point, and I loved it. I loved it. You know, as I say, I've always written and I've read crime fiction forever and ever. And so I, I sort of knew roughly the areas that I wanted to be in. And when I got to 20,000 words, it became, I was aware it was going to be more painful to stop than to carry on. It was enormously painful to carry on because writing a book is awful. But it would have been worse, I think, at that point to have left those 20,000 words in a drawer. And so, you know what, I just put my head down, worked out the discipline of doing it. I had these characters who I adored. So they sort of saw me through a lot of it. And yeah, two years later, it kind of appeared. I I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. I made sure I kept it a secret, didn't show anybody, didn't tell any publishers or anything like that. I just thought, just see if you can write a novel. And at the end, if it's terrible, at least you write it. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tell me, what were you reading? What, what kind of crime had you been reading? Well, I mean, all sorts of things, really, from the kind of classic age of, 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 of Agatha Christie, you know, up to, you know, Britain has some incredible crime writers. They you know, do. You know, uh, Ian Rankin, uh, Val McDermott. I love Mark Billingham because Mark Billingham can sort of, he has some wit about him, which I think is quite difficult to pull off in crime fiction. 
So I love that. But I love Dennis Lehane. I mean, there's you sort of go on and on and on, can't you? James Elroy, James Lee Burke. I mean, so loads and loads. Of, but, you know, I like someone who writes a crime book, but also tells us something about the world uh, is the truth. You know, that's the point of crime fiction to me is mm. all the telly I do is formats, right? And a format is it's got a beginning, a middle and an end. You know where you're going to be at the end of a TV format. And it's about the fun you have along the way. And crime fiction is that, you know, you can tell stories about any country, about any era, about any sort of personalities. If you set up that something has happened that's going to be solved, you know, and people will just join you for that journey. And so I've always loved that about crime fiction. And I loved writing it for that reason, knowing I had a destination in mind, you know, knowing where I was finishing and knowing, therefore, that along the way uh, I could just have fun. And that to me is what crime fiction is just amazing that they take you into these incredible worlds but they also give you uh, a payoff i think that that is a writing um a writing core sentence in itself that it has a start a middle and an end because i get sent so yeah. many manuscripts and there's no beginning there's no middle and there's no end you know yeah. and you know a lot of people just don't get that in storytelling and it's a great discipline yeah. to have I, I was fortunate enough a few years back to um meet john lacare <gasps> Yeah, really? uh, how lucky wow. is that? Oh, yeah. amazing. 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 And I've 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 talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, but he said there are two right two styles of writing, I think he said. He said there's the cat sat on the mat, or there's the cat sat on the dog's mat. <laughs> oh yeah. Genius, go. right? <laughs> it's so clever. Yeah. Oh, but it's but you know what it's it, it's exactly right and John Le Carre is, is such a fascinating thing because you know I think he was recognised before before he died that he was a giant of literature but it took a long time it did. because he was seen as a genre novelist and you know he wasn't somebody you know he put story above everything so he was telling you a story he was taking you in a direction and the fact that he could write such beautiful prose was sort of got overlooked because people are saying oh no, no no we like our stylists we like the people who are experimenting with the novel we like the people who are you know sort of taking us on a bucolic journey through language uh and you think well you know what why not do both what if that's the hardest thing is mm. to is to keep us turning the pages and also you know give us beauty uh, which is something that that, uh, that john mccary did and i can't do anything else i'm a tv i'm a i'm a salesman you know i'm a tv producer that's my thing I have to give you something. I have to give you a story. I have to entertain. That's not a cynical thing. It's not a, that's the way to make money. That's the way my brain works. I need to entertain. I need you to keep reading the next page and the next page and the next page. I need you to not switch over onto the other channel. Mm. Uh, and that's what I love. But at the same time, I can then write something that I'm proud of and something that comes from my heart and something that speaks about the way I see the world. But to me, I love to read books that do both. Give us a story and then, you know, make us laugh and cry along the way. Tell us a little bit about the book. I mean, it's so um, humbling and emotional. And yes, it's a crime story, but it's so unconventional in terms of crime. Uh, it's quite, <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, again, you know, it's hard, isn't it? Because you, you, you write the book that's in your head and you, you don't really think about where it sits. So it's about, um, I went to visit a retirement village uh, a few years ago. Um, you have to be over 70 to live there. It's right in the middle of the English countryside. Uh, and it's completely independent. It's not an old people's home. It's, you know, you own your own places. Everyone's driving around. It's a the sort of, it's like a uni halls of residence, but, you know, no one's got any work to do. Um, and so I went there. And first it was very beautiful. And I thought this would be a great setting for a murder, which is, you know, is any writer would think. But, you know, the key was meeting these people, all of whom are over 70. 
you know, we're at lunch at about 11.30 in the morning. Everyone's drinking. You know, everyone's got a glint in the eye. Everyone's got a story. I was having so much fun. And I genuinely thought, you know what, if there was a murder here, then these people would solve it. And that's where the idea kind of started germinating. And they had a notice board of all the different clubs. They've got Bridge Club on Tuesday, you know, Knit and Natter on Wednesday. And this idea of the Thursday Murder Club um, came up. So four people in their 70s, all from very, very different backgrounds, just meet up to look over old unsolved cases. And then a real murder happens on their doorstep. So that's the basic setup, is these four people in their 70s uh, solving this murder. But you very quickly get to the thing of, firstly, because they've been thrown together in this place, they're very different. So one used to be a spy, although we're never really allowed to talk about it. One was a nurse, one was a psychiatrist, and one was a, like a labour activist, incredibly left-wing um, sort of firebrand from the 70s. And then secondly, you get that thing of, well, how on earth do you get to the heart of a murder investigation when you're in your 70s? And the way they do it, essentially, firstly, they're brilliant and they have this life experience. But secondly, they are constantly overlooked and underestimated. And so they can get away with pretty much everything. And the second I put a murder plot across those four characters and really threw the world at them, it was just a joy to write because there's such life in them being in their 70s on a new adventure with new friends and, you know, using this experience. And there's such a lovely thing about, uh, about underdogs and people who are underestimated saying, you know, you got me wrong, right? Mm. Uh, and it, it seems to have really clicked into something uh, that people want about their lives and about their minds and about their futures, which is lovely. And it's, I've just spent the second lockdown writing the second book. Um, and it's, I just spending time in their company yeah. Joy. A friend of mine said to me recently, he said he's, he was starting to feel invisible as a person, you know, he's 50-something, mm, yeah. and he said that he was starting to feel, feel invisible, and it really got me thinking. I mean, I don't feel that way, but I can see, I can certainly understand what he's saying. And when we think about people even older than than me and him, this friend of mine, Sometimes we don't even know what life experience they have. And that's why I like this book, because everybody had a personality. Everybody was a real yeah. person that has lived, not just lived a life, but living a life. Yes, I think that's it, isn't it? And, and you know, if you people say, well, how do you get in the brain of someone in their 70s? You think, well, my starting point was I imagine it's the same as mine. I imagine yeah. there's absolutely no difference absolutely. because my brain at therapy was, uh, you know, the difference is uh, you're around grief a lot more you're around loss a lot more and you have to come to terms with those things. Uh, but also you have a great deal more experience, you know, and I, I know an awful lot more at 50 than I did at 30. My assumption is I'll know even more at 70 than 50. But culturally, we are told that, oh, yeah, we keep learning, we keep learning. But, oh, then there's a point where we all become very conservative and we shut down uh, and, you know, we all become very right wing and suddenly we protect what we've got. And that just, I, that just isn't my experience. You know, you talk to people in their 70s with an open, inquiring mind, and they're the wisest people you're ever going to talk to. And so w why would those four people not be the heroes of your book? I mean, who better to be the heroes of a book? Mm, you've captured them beautifully. How did you get it published? Well, it was, it, it's interesting. You know, I, I said earlier that I, I kept it secret that I was writing. And the reason I did that is over here, I'm, I'm relatively well known on television. You know, I'm on TV every day. So and I know enough about the world of sales and publishing and the media to know if I go and talk to a publisher and say, oh, look, I've got a chapter of this book, will you publish it? I know they'll give me a deal. Okay, I'm, I absolutely get that. And that's a huge advantage I would have over any other first-time author. But it, also for me, it would be a huge disadvantage because 
I would be thinking, why are they publishing me? Is this book any good? I'd have a deadline. I'd have this, that or the other. And I didn't want any of those things. I wanted to go back to who I was, which is a writer sitting just with my brain. So yeah, I didn't tell anyone at all. I wrote the whole thing. And there's an agent, she's now my agent, Juliet Mushins, who I'd met a number of times before and I trusted very much. She's very forthright. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to send it to Juliet. And I'm going to say to her, you've got to be completely honest with me, Juliet. We're not mucking about here. I know I can get a book published. You have to tell me, is this like a real book that a real author would write? Because anyone who's written will tell you, when you've written it, you have literally no idea. Yeah. You know, some days you like it. Most days you just think this is terrible. So I said, be honest. You've got to be honest. And she said, if this had come in on my slush pile, completely unsolicited, I would represent you and I would go and sell this book. So that's all I needed to hear. Okay, that, that to me, I thought, okay, then we're in business because, you know, then I'm sort of on a level playing field with other people. And from that moment, really, the whole, the, the, the whole thing has, has rocketed. And that's where it did become an advantage, my, you know, being on TV. But the book was always the advantage, the, you know, the words. Because I think a lot of people, when it was sent to publishers, there was some cynicism, quite rightly, because, you know, we all know people that, you know, uh, celebrities who write books. And I think they all, some of them very reluctantly, <laughs> in the end, just went, oh, no. Okay, yeah, okay, this is a real book. We're going to have to pay quite a lot of money for this. Uh, I think they, 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 they were hoping it might be a quick cash in and it wasn't. But, you know, it's, and, and it's been apparent to me ever since that the book is the thing. And the lovely thing of selling it to, because, you know, Britain, again, I can, I, I can see why I've sold there. But when you sell to America and when you sell to China and France and Germany and Italy, and they're all excited, and they're all excited for the same reasons. They all love the characters and they all love the representation of, 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 um, of, of, of age. And, you know, when that happened, I thought, okay, that gave me some confidence that uh, it was okay and I wasn't just a celebrity who'd written a book. Well, congratulations. So is the next book um, a continuation in a way of the series? Or yeah, it- yeah. That's essentially, everyone who survives the first book returns to the second. And again, <laughs> no, I can't give anything. I can't even give anything away about the first book. And again, that's from my TV background, which is, you know, you see some people who have the, the, the sort of big hit novel uh, out of the gates, and then they've got to think of a <laughs> of like an entirely different novel. And I thought right from the start, do you know what, I'll just do a, I mean, do a series because, you know, you want to keep writing about these characters. You know, Eleanor Oliphant is such a wonderful novel, uh, and you worry that she's going to have to write about someone else. And surely you just think, but you, you want to spend a bit more time with Eleanor, don't you? That's right. Uh, and that's, that's right. That's how I feel about the Thursday Murder Club. I just want to, I want, I want to keep spending time with them. And so we signed up for four, uh, which is lovely. And then maybe I'll think about something else. But for now, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely uh, furrowed plow. Yeah, yeah. And just before we go, because I know you've got to go, but what about um, Spielberg? <laughs> Dare I say his name? <laughs> um, how did that come about? Well, again, that's, that's a thing of, you know, early on in the life of a manuscript, certainly if it's a manuscript that's getting some buzz about it, you know, the TV companies and the film companies try and option things quite early just so, yeah. you know, if something's going to be a hit, then they've already got the rights and they've probably got it a bit cheaper and blah, blah, blah. And working in British television as I do, lots of the offers were coming from British television companies and I, I sort of knew people and it all felt a little bit incestuous. What if it ends up on BBC One? And I work on BBC One. I don't know, the whole thing felt... Again, like perhaps I was trading off who I was. And the second the movie offers started coming in from America, I was like, oh, once again, I was like, okay. They, don't know, they have no idea who I am. They haven't got a clue. Like Australians, they have no idea who I am. Uh, and then of the movie things, when Spielberg came in, 
Um, and not just the name, but the fact that, you know, you, you, you talk to him and his people and they've got a real feel for it uh, and they've got a vision for it. Um, and it t- I mean, that was thrilling to me. Mm. Uh, and on a very prosaic note, it was quite handy because let's say lots of British TV people who I've got personal relationships with, I was able to say, look, I can't go with you. I can't sell it to you, but it's Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Uh, and it, they all have to put their hands up and go, okay, let's, I get that. Okay, get okay so, then. Okay. Well, yeah, you, but, I mean, you probably, you may not know this yet, but will you participate in kind of the script writing or would you sit back for that? No, I've, I have, my whole career, as uh, you know, you leave uh, things in the hands of people who are best at them. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lovely guy called Old Parker who's writing and directing. Uh, and um, why I would rather get on and write the next few books, to yeah. be honest, and let the film people get on with, with the film. That's my, it's too much hard work to, you know, be, be I, I think that, that's I think. such a good decision because often when I see films, I mean, and I don't think this is a generalisation, but the better ones are when the author stood back, really. I think so. Don't you Because books are books and films are films and they are, right. they are different. They're different yeah. beasts. You know, they really are. Okay, Richard, I think we have to let you go. I'm still like, you know, jealous, but that's okay. (laughs) 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 Congratulations. The book is called The Thursday Murder Club. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Listen, I'm so desperate to come out to Australia as well. I haven't been able to this year, but hopefully next year, as I say, I've got relatives over there and I've never been. It's a big old trek, right? But hopefully next year or the year after whatever, I would just love to come out and meet everybody and talk about the book. And it's it's a place that's very dear to my heart for a number of reasons. And uh, fingers well, crossed. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And let me know because, you know, the last time Nigella Lawson was here, I cooked her some dinner. So maybe I can cook you. <gasps> wow. You know how you said. Yeah. You know how you said you couldn't cook? I can cook. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, listen, I've, I've yet to meet anyone go. Lebanese who can't cook, you know. <laughs> you Never happens. Cheryl, thank you so much. That was great fun. Thank you. Thanks for your time. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.